0: I want to talk to us about a great door for effective work. A great door for effective work. We have been looking at this word in the last couple of weeks, actually, at LSA already. And I feel like this word carries meaning, prophetic significance beyond LSA. I feel like God is speaking to the city of Debon, is speaking to our City, to 3 about a great door for effective work. I have a sense, a prophetic sense in my heart that the 2024 and beyond represent a season of opportunity for the church. We've come out of a a very, very difficult, challenging time of COVID, and uh, COVID has been difficult for different churches in different ways, Um, and and there has been spiritual fatigue, even prophetic fatigue. Church, how many of us know that God is not trying to survive, God is actually pioneering and advancing. He's not surviving, he's not putting on a mask, he's not trying to uh, survive a, you know, know, life. He's actually on the advance. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and those who are violent have to take it by force, the word of God says. And so we have to come out of the fatigue of the last couple of years and step up into a prophetic people that were called to be by God again. And so God is laying before us A great door for effective work. And we're going to look into some scriptures as we read about this in the Word of God. This is a word that I want to submit to you and to us as a collective, as 3C, as Harper City, as LSA. And I would say even beyond this room into the sphere of the city of Devon, there is a great door that is opening in 2024 and beyond that the church has to be prepared for. And so let's read the scripture in 1 Corinthians in chapter 16. We're going to put up the scripture for us. We're going to read a couple of scriptures. We're tracking Paul today as he writes uh, about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 5 to 11. There we go. We've got the scripture. They're reading from the NIV. It says this. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps. I'll stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever wherever I go. I do not want you to see, I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Paul is addressing this issue of the value of spending time together of not just passing by, the, the return back to the, comu- to the life of community in the church. He says, I don't just want to uh, you know, pay uh, lip service. When I see you, I want to see you fully. I want to have a full fellowship experience with you. And in verse 8, he says, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. So we know that he's writing this letter to the Corinthians from a city called Ephesus. He's writing back to the Corinthians. We know that he would have spent about 18 months in Corinthians out of the word of the Lord who spoke to him about, I have many people in this city. And Paul took that word in Corinth and began to speak the word of the Lord. And, you know, for about 18 months it was speaking the word. So he's writing back to the Corinthians from Ephesus now. In verse 9, because he says, A great door for effect work, effective work has opened to me. So something that is happening in Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus, that Paul calls a great door for effective work, a great door for effective work, and that's what we, we're going to look at today. What, is that, what does it look like? What is that? What does it look like? There's something, there's some activities that the Spirit of God is, is really uh, facilitating in the city of Ephesus that Paul calls a great door for effective work. He says, I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me, identifies this issue or, this issue or challenge of warfare that he's encountering in the city. In verse 10, if Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you for he's carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along, uh, along with the brothers. Beautiful scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And of course, our focus is verses 8 and 9. A great door for effective work has opened for you, Devin. Now, let's read some background scriptures here, just to give substance to what Paul is talking about. And let's go back to Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. We're going to track Paul a little bit and track his journey and and his movement. Um, We've got Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, During the night in verse 9, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia, a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10 After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So there's something that this team is going through here in Acts chapter 16. Let's jump over to Acts chapter 18. In verses 18 to 22, in Acts chapter 18, Paul stayed on in in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed to Syria, for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. This is a couple. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at uh, Cancria because of a vow he had taken. In verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus. So Paul arrives at Ephesus in Acts chapter 18, verse 19, for the first time where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, he himself went into into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. Interesting. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. In Acts. Chapter 19, verses 1 to 2. while Sorry, verses 1 to 7. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So he's going back to Ephesus for the second time. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in total. From verse 8 in Acts chapter 19, Paul entered the synagogue after this baptism experience and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing uh, persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly malign the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia had the word of the Lord. In verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. When the Bible has to say extraordinary miracles, And you know something amazing is happening in this place. In verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, there was no relationship with this Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, in verse 14, a Jewish chief chief priest, were, were doing this. One day, one day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. The idea of an old man storming out of the house naked is like, you just have to imagine, that must have been quite a picture. And thank God. Thanks to Dr. Luke for adding that detail. <laughs> Verses 17 to 20, chapter 19. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed, now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and bent them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In verse 20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. In verse 23, it gets interesting in this city. About that time, there arose great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius who, who, who made silver shrines of Artemis brought in no legal business for the craftsmen. There was a disruptive, what you call a disruptive city transformation that was taking place. In verse 25, you called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, man, you know we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here. In other words, markets are changing in Ephesus and in, in, uh, and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are not gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. In verse 28, when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. Paul Wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. A great door for effective work. We're checking with Paul here. He's, if you want a peek from the time that he's been in Antioch and has been with the leaders, prophets, and teachers. We're gathered uh, ministering before the Lord, worshiping, and God speaks. And God says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. The sequence was actually at that point in time Barnabas and Paul for the work that I've called them to do. And these two brothers, their friends become great friends. They launch out into the mission of God. That word set apart means to draw a boundary line, to set up a horizon, to define a limitation in the call of God, we also appreciate the limitation that we have in Christ. There are things we cannot do. When God speaks to Barnabas and Paul about they must be set apart, it means from that point onwards they were not to take any, any particular task that was coming to them or ministry assignment, only that which God wanted them to engage in, set apart. So their capacity was being defined, but also at the same time, their limitation was being defined in God. And so they launch out into the cities and preaching, and they are great brothers, they become great friends, they do great things, amazing together, amazing things together. Up until that point in Acts 15, as you go through the last, very, very last verses of Acts chapter 15, these brothers actually have a fight, a fighting over a young man called John Mark. Because Paul, they both had a a good idea to go back to the churches and to deliver the word of the Lord, but Barnabas, being a a, a great, encouraging man that he was, thought, let's take this young man, John Mark, and Paul thought it was not a good idea. The word says they had such a sharp argument that they agreed to disagree. And this partnership comes to an end at that point in time. It's a difficult time for Paul. Difficult time for Paul. Difficult time for Barnabas. We can argue that Paul is called by God Was we track him in Damascus, on his way to Damascus, in, back in Acts chapter 9. He's actually called to suffer for the Lord. So he understands that in his missionary journeys, there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be suffering. And John Mark had already proven that he wasn't cut for difficulty. And that was Paul's idea. So they are fighting really over what you call a philosophy of ministry. Every church has a philosophy of ministry. Every church has a culture that drives the, the things that it does. The way we do things and the way we deliver the things of God. And so Paul has a philosophy of ministry where he thinks, well, you kind of need a certain kind of guy in this team. It must be somebody who's, who can take the shipwreck. Somebody who can st- take the stoning. And John Mark has already proven that he's not fit for that. Barnabas, on the other hand, said, oh, we can take him and cover him and... And nature him, and, and the two men fight over that, and they agree to disagree. It's a difficult time for, for, for these two men. Paul launches in Acts chapter 16. He comes to a place where he meets a young man called Timothy, and uh, everybody talks great about Timothy. Call him. You, you, won't you like to have, to have a situation where everybody talks great about you, man? And Paul is looking for a guy to fill in for John Mark. And he takes Timothy, he is a product of a mixed marriage, of a, 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 a Greek and a, a Jewish family. And so he is not circumcised. He's a young man. And Paul thinks that, well, I need to take you, but in order to take you, I need to circumcise you. And I said, this is very interesting. For a young man, that must have been quite a scene. I mean, those days you were circumcised as a baby. For a young man to be circumcised, it, it speaks into the principle a significant principle, that for Timothy to participate in this team of Paul, he had, to, he had to go through this circumcision. He had to go through this conformity, this initiation, if you like, to, to adopt the culture of the team, but also so that he would be accepted by the Jewish world because he needed to be circumcised. So they, he takes, uh, you know, you know, you know uh, Timothy, And by that time, he's been joined by Silas, so we are hearing of Paul and Silas. And Timothy comes in. Dr. Luke comes in as well. He's a medical doctor. He is a historian, or what you call an investigative journalist. He is writing and recording all of the details of the journey that they're going through. And Paul goes into Achaia in Corinth, and he meets This great couple called Aquila and Priscilla. They are amazing people. These are the people that very tenderly update Apollos, a passionate teacher of the Word of God. They update him about what was happening in the kingdom of God. He knew only the baptism of John the Baptist. And they took him for dinner. And in a very kind and gentle way, they upgraded his doctrine in a non-threatening way. And he becomes a great resource. He was a great orator of the Word of God, and he becomes a great resource as he's sent back into the churches after that upgrade dinner. And those, this thing goes on until they hit this place called Troas. And there, something begins to happen when they hit this place called Troas that, that the Spirit of God seems to forbid them from entering certain places. And you can imagine Paul is frustrated about what's going on here. They're trying to, so they're at and, and and they're trying to enter into you know, different places and the Spirit of God forbids them. I hope we all can see Troas there. If you can't, we can help you. So they are around the region of Asia. They're trying to figure out what is God wanting. And in the midst of that, Paul sees a vision of a man from Macedonia. And I say, this map is quite interesting. And we're tra- tracking with this thing called a great door for effective work, ultimately. This map is interesting because if you're sitting in Paul's team, you know, eventually he'll be writing from Ephesus about a great door for effective work has opened for me. And he's writing to Corinth. We can see Corinth to my left there from Ephesus, but he's in Troas and he's searching God, he's praying, and God says, go to Macedonia. And I'm like, yeah, we could have just moved from Troas, uh, Jamie, to Ephesus. It's closer that, that way, it's easier that way. You think about the time, the physical effort, the logistics, the budget that it takes to follow the map of God as opposed to the map of man. And so Paul has to move from Troas to Philippi where he meets a lady called Lydia who opens her heart and her house to to, to, to Paul and the team. And from there to Berea, down to Corinth, Athens, and then back to Ephesus. And he's now writing from Ephesus about there's a great door that is opened for me. But it seems like this vision of a man from Macedonia has been a trigger in the spirit that there's a momentum that starts to build up for Paul and the team as they move from Troas to Philippi to Berea to Corinth and back to Ephesus. And that's where things begin to happen. The great door for effective work. The word great is the word, is the word mega, the mega door. It speaks of the word door, the idea of a door in the Bible speaks of opportunity. There is a great opportunity, Paul is saying, for me in Ephesus. The Spirit of God has moved and has opened things. He's moved and broken hearts. He's opening the region in such a significant way. Paul calls it a mega opportunity, a significant opportunity opportunity in the spirit. He says a great door for effective work. And that word effective is the word from which we get the English word energy from. He says there is energy that has fallen upon us as a team. We are experiencing an energy that cannot be linked to our own physical ability. There is something that has broken out from the heavens upon our hearts. We have such operational capacity to preach the word of God Sit in Glenwood that We know that is not from our strength. It is God. What is God doing here in this great door for effective work? It's a season to scale up the work of God. It's a season to open up and to scale up the work of God. It's a season to occupy things bigger than us, territories that are bigger than us, to have the capacity, the anointing from heaven, to occupy territories that are bigger than us. And by the way, I do want us to be thinking inside of this word, not only for us as church, but for families, for businesses that are represented here, for organizations that are represented here. There's a mega opportunity For an effective work, there's a capacity, there's an anointing that is coming from God that is allowing us to occupy territories that are much bigger than our budget, much bigger than our giftings, much bigger than our logistical capacities. God is moving and is empowering us to begin to fill up territories that are big. Now, there are keys that lead to that moment of a great door for effective work. I want to highlight for us four keys that we need church in Durban, Harper City, 3C, LSA, to unlock that great door for effective work in the spirit. The first key is this idea that Paul was set apart. Paul was set apart. If Again, I'm going to read this for you back in Acts chapter 13 verses 1 to 4. In the church at Antioch, There were prophets and teachers meeting there and, you know, doing all sorts of things, praying and worshiping God. In verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. If we're going to access this thing that we call a great door for effective work, we're going to have to be the kind of believers, the kind of churches that are set apart for the things of God. And basically, another translation, a translation says, separate for me Paul or Barnabas and Paul. And like I said earlier, that means to draw a boundary line. It is that time when God begins to define your capacity. It is that time when God begins to say, here. LSA 3C habit city this is what i want you to focus upon at that point in time when god says you are now set apart basically means you really can't be grabbing everything that comes your way you can't be grabbing every opportunity that comes your way except that which is in the in the agenda of god for you and the principle applies whether you're running a business or an organization Set apart for me, Barnabas and Paul, for the work to which I have called them. I'm drawing a boundary line around them. I'm appointing them for a designated sphere that I want these two men to begin to focus upon. So from that point onwards, if we're going to access the great door for effective work, it means we say, hey, God, I, I, want-, I want your agenda for me. What is God's agenda for 3C? What is, what is God's agenda for Harper City? What is it that God wants LSA to deliver in the city of Devon? That is a thing. That's a boundary line. We are limited in the call of God. To clarify the call of God is to equally clarify your limitation. We are not called to do everything. We cannot do everything. But there are things, specific things, certain specific plans that God wants Tracy to, to deliver for him. So the key number one is that we need to be a a people who are set apart. Number two, we need to heed the Macedonian call. The Macedonian call. This is the pathway to the great door. We need to heed the Macedonian call. In Acts chapter 16 that we read earlier in verse 6, they are finding themselves in a time when the Spirit of God is forbidding. The Spirit of God would not let them move into certain regions. In verse 9, um, and a vision appears to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stands pleading with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had said, seen this vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. What is God? What sort of prophetic direction is God calling her city into? That's what the Macedonian call really speaks about. What, what is a prophetic directive? What is a specific direction that God is calling 3C 2 That word to conclude is not just a word means to wrap up in a conversation. That word to conclude, we concluded that the Lord had called us means to unite, to come together in Unity. It means that a word from God, a prophetic directive from God that has been clarified and authenticated to be a word from God brings a team together. It brings a church together. It brings people together. To conclude, the Greek word there means to unite, to come together in unity around a thing that is believed to be a word from God. That's what we want. Churches is rallying around a word from God. Rallying around, teams rallying around away from God. We concluded. One man sees a vision. The team concludes. God did not have to speak to everybody, but everybody was bearing witness as Paul shared the vision. That, hey, this is a word from God. And there was a sense of concluding, which wasn't just we are wrapping up this conversation. But it was like, hey, we are rallying around this word. We are now going to adopt this as a mission of God for this team. We are, in fact, headed to Macedonia now. From that time onwards, there's unity in Paul's team. It takes prophetic discipline. Prophetic discipline, 3C, Harper City, LSA, to walk in the will of God. It takes discerning times when God would say no to arrive at a place that we call a man or a call from Macedonia. That prophetic discipline, that prophetic maturity that this team displays of being able to discern when God would say, no, you are not to go into this particular place. In other words, these are not people who are trying to populate a calendar for the year. These are people who are absolutely sold out to whatever is the agenda and the plan of God for us as Harper City, we are okay to have a gap from January to March and to jump from March to July. That does not have to be a sequence according to the mind of man that drives our operational flow. We are listening to the call of God. We are reading the movement of the stars, of the heavens, and we are discerning God's call. Where is He calling us to? Because where God calls us is where God has anointed us that prophetic discipline, that prophetic directive, the spiritual leadership, Paul steps up and he shares his vision from Mas- of, of, of a man from Macedonia. And that concludes the matter. That rallies the team into a place of, of, of unity. That's key number two. We've got to heed the Macedonian call. What does it look like for Habasitia? What does it look like for, Hap- for LSA? What does it look like for, for, for 3C? We've got to heed the Macedonian call. The Macedonian call does not have to be logistically convenient. From Troas, we can be called to Macedonia when actually Ephesus is just down the line. It does not have to be logistically convenient. It does not have to suit our budget. The Macedonian call does not have to even suit our physical effort because we trust in the anointing of God to rub upon us. It's not about the time and exhaustion. It is about what is it that God would want this team, this church, to do at this point in time. And you know why the question is important? Because one day we will actually account. We'll actually account about 2023. We will account about 2024 before the Lord, before the King of Kings. And so, as Paul stands in Troas and thinking and wondering, God, why would we not go to mission and all these places? And God begins to direct him. It's Macedonia, Paul. Macedonia. And he goes all around back to Ephesus. And even there, when he arrives there for the first time, he doesn't seem to feel a rhythm of God. He hits the city for the first time in Ephesus, and it doesn't seem to feel a rhythm of God and he leaves, he goes to Galatia, goes up to Galatia, and he comes back. It is the second time that Paul feels, hey, God is here, and there's something that is breaking out. So key number two is Macedonian called. Key number three, we need praying churches. Praying churches. This was a praying team. When they arrived at Philippi in Acts 16, verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. When, when a team looks, goes around looking for a place of prayer. We went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. It is not context that they meet Lydia, this entrepreneur woman who was stealing in in, in purple uh, cloth and all these things that she was doing. And God saves her and she opens her heart and she opens her house for this team. In verse 16, in the same chapter, once we were going to the place of prayer. Once we were going to the place. Of, how, many, how many people arrive at the prayer gathering? At the prayer meeting? The prayer, saints, prayer, 3C Harper City and LSA is the engine room of the church. It's a bed place. It is a conception point. It is a seedbed of all that God would do. If you cannot participate in prayer, then you are really not helping in the ushering of the purposes of God. They were a praying team. Key number three, at least this great door for effective work, is that Paul and the team were clearly, um, you know, People that prayed, that prayed very, very significantly. Um, As we see, when they did this in Philippi, uh, they looked for prayer. I mean, a place of prayer. And key number four, obsession with the will of God. The perception with the will of God. We've got to be obsessed with the will of God. In Acts chapter 18, verses 19 to 21. When Paul arrives at Ephesus for the first time, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. He declined. He declined an invitation to ministry. Paul wasn't thinking about opportunity, he wasn't thinking about even an honorarium. He declined. In verse 21, but as he left, he promised. I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. This is his first visit. So Paul was a man who was absolutely sold out to the will of God. He would not do anything that unless he was cons- convinced that that is what God wanted him to do. He was absolutely he had a prophetic wrestle before he had an administrative wrestle before he had an operational wrestle. That is become you know, concerning when we discuss the operational first, before the prophetic wrestle. The prophetic wrestle you know, preceded operations and logistics for Paul. If we have to walk in the power of the will of God, we've got to learn to say no to things. We're going to have to be a people who are courageous enough We don't have to be rude, but we have to learn to say no. And sometimes church is filled with two nice people that would say yes to everything. And it's okay to, you know, God is doing, we are not God. You know, there's only, you know, that which God can do. But God calls individually and individuals into different spheres of his purpose. And we've got to be very, that prophetic discipline to discern the will of God, to perceive the movement of the spirit over our lives and over the city, over our families, and to be able to say, no, this is not necessarily evil, but it's not for me. I don't see my name in this thing. But I bless you. You go and I will even pray for you. And that's what Paul does when he hits Ephesus for the first time. He says, well, I'm leaving. I'm going. And they beg him to stay. This clearly, seeing the gift and the value that he brought to the city. And Paul would simply say, well, look, I have to go. I will come back if it is the will of God. We Remember the story of Jesus when he came to um, a pool filled with crippled people and he heals only one guy. Now, when Jesus arrives at a place filled with people of need and he heals one guy and he walks away, what do you think the rest of the guys are doing? Jesus, me too. There's a me too call that, and he walks away. And I can imagine his disciples are confused by this act of lack of consideration, and he justifies it by this. He says, I only do what I see my father do. He says, the son can only do what he sees a father do. Prophetic discipline. I am not driven, in other words, by need around me. I am moved only by that which I see God move inside of my own life. I will only do what I see my father do, he says. Now, Jesus, without limitation, with all of the anointing, could have healed everybody. In fact, he went to certain places and he healed everybody there was. But on this particular day, I only do what I see my father do. We've got to be regulated from a different place. It's good to be excited about the things of God. But we've got to be regulated from a different place. We've got to be regulated by a different phenomenon, by something that is otherworldly. We've got to be regulated by the Spirit of God, not by our energies. We will get tired if we get regulated by our own energies. I think COVID proved that, right? Circumstances of life can knock us so hard that if we're operating out of our own strength, we will get tired. Fatigue is a very real thing. And we don't need. We want to hit, uh, for those of us who are yet to be 50. <laughs> we want to hit 50 strong. <laughs> Fresh. Revitalized by the Spirit of God. Something otherworldly. These keys are important for us. To be set apart for God. To heed the Macedonian call to be a praying church, and to be absolutely obsessed with the thing that we call the will of God. The will of God. So Paul says, a great door has been opened for me in Ephesus. He's writing from Ephesus, so we know that that great door has to do with some activities that the Spirit of God at that point in time is administrating in this great city called Ephesus. What is happening in Ephesus according to the scriptures that we read earlier? The great door that has been opened by God. There are four things that we can identify out of the activities of the Spirit in Ephesus. Firstly, there was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, when he arrives and he finds these 12 disciples, they are John the Baptist guys. They are not updated about what God is, is doing, about the revelation and doctrine. They look weak to Paul. And he very quickly descends that they lack the Holy Spirit baptism. So what he calls a great door for effective work begins with the outpouring of the Spirit of God. And while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul arrives in Ephesus and he finds his 12 disciples. He lays his hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in tongues. They begin to prophesy, we've got to, we've got to, 3C, Harbor City, LSA, see a great return of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church. We cannot be so organized and so professionalized that it is okay to come to an orderly meeting on Sunday morning and to walk back into our conditions and challenges home in the afternoon without a deposit of the Holy Spirit. We cannot be happy with such a situation. We've got to be crying before the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the only hope that we can see a, a widespread activation of the saints. The gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 are designed for the body of Jesus Christ. And the, the activation of the saints is not supposed to be the headache of the pastor. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to spread out His gifts to the saints, young and old, male and female, and that when they receive the gifts, they get activated and they begin to be functional in the things of God. If that does not happen, it means that we pastors have to go home every Sunday and figure it out. And I don't want to do that. I don't think Peter wants to do that. Jamie, it's not about strategic planning. It's got to be about the Spirit of God is moving. And we can discern he's moving upon that believer. And when he moves, they don't have to be told, participate. They will find it within themselves. And these 12 guys who are weak begin to prophesy. Who told them? The Spirit of God began to move within them. I was having a conversation with Jamie the other day. It was great to see our youth last year being baptized in the Holy Spirit and breaking out in in tongues and prophesying. And nobody had to teach them. Now we have to prophesy. They began to break out in the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of God is important. to The The spirit of God is is, is what makes the church church. Without the Holy Spirit, church is such a good, nice, social club of well-meaning people. The Spirit of God is important. We've got to be crying for the Spirit of God in our churches. That means we also have to be a little bit fluid in our services. It's good to be orderly. There must be order in the house of God. But we want to be crying for the Spirit of God to break out. The Spirit of God is so important that even though Jesus had said to us, go, but he said also, do not leave. What a contradiction. Go to the nations, but do not leave. Wait. The discipline of waiting is what we want to regain in the church. Wait for the gift. The mission is clear. The plan is out there. We know what we need to do. We want to hit Glenwood, but wait for the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without him. If you try, you're just a bunch of well-meaning people trying to do some humanitarian stuff. We are called to be church and to bring transformation to the spaces, to the culture around us. There was the outpouring of the Spirit of God that Paul released upon Ephesus by the laying on of hands. Number two, what was the activity of a great door? It was doctrine for regional impact. Doctrine. He took them to a lecture hall for two years, was teaching them, these disciples. They now had the Holy Spirit. They could contain it. They could take, they had the capacity to, to receive the word of the Lord. And he puts them in this lecture hall and begins to teach them. It says this went on for two years. So that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province, something was happening in Habba City that hit Glenwood. All the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. In verse 20 in Acts 719, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Something was happening in 3C that hit Westville. It was the honor of the word of the Lord in the hearts of the saints. It was that the saints were looking forward to the moment of Sunday morning together and to receive that word of the Lord. There was consistency. There was devotion to the word of the Lord that we see here. They they had this doctrine for regional impact. And I think that church has been guilty to step out, out of passion and zeal for God To step out into things that we have no doctrine for. Doctrine is our spiritual infrastructure. Doctrine is what facilitates and helps us to to be able to achieve our mission. To step into things. If Paul wanted to hit Ephesus but without the word doctrine, there was going to be a problem. There was going to be a problem. Do we have the infrastructure for the things we seek to touch? The things we seek to, seek to transform. The word of God. That was activity number two. Number three. The supernatural breaks out in the city. Extraordinary miracles. So Paul, when Paul says there's a great door, he also means there's supernatural activity. There's miracles taking place here. To the point where the sons of Sceva could, 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 could steal his anointing and go and do all sorts of things. And these guys, passionate guys who were clearly not saved, they did not know Jesus they were talking about, took this guy who was demon possessed and locked him in the room. They didn't realize the demon was napping. They took the guy, locked him in the room, the demon was napping. They locked and they threw the the key away. And then the demon woke up. And they felt stretching and the muscles cracking and the guy asked a simple question, who are you? Who are you? It means that our legitimacy in our relationship with Jesus is important. The authenticity of our salvation, that the realm of the Spirit actually recognizes ranking order. We know Jesus, and they said that an email has come to us about Paul, this fellow called Paul, but we don't know anything about you. And that would be a terrible thing for demons to say to LSA. We don't know anything about this. There has been no report about you. who are you. And on the basis of that, the demon beats them up, "I don't know how we get to. the guys were naked. I see the beating, the nakedness. I don't know how we get that. And they storm out, obviously. Running for their lives. The miraculous breaks out in the city. Great door for effective work. Activity number four was disruptive city transformation. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Do you understand what's going on here? A whole industry is being disrupted. The disruption of the kingdom of God does not always align to the authorities of the city, of the metro, of the council, and their plan for how they want to increase and, and open up the economy. Actually, in this particular case, Paul's work and Paul's ministry brings disruption to the economy of the city, to the point where this crowd calls for a court uh, uh, hearing against Paul. Disruptive city transformation, disruptive city transformation. People are confessing. People are are, are burning books, and 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 the industry is being affected. Markets are changing. Markets are changing. As the word of God is preached, markets are changing. Industries are being disrupted. And people get mad. They conduct a research. They find out it is Paul. No. Understand, big business always conducts research, right? To understand market trends and all these things. They found out it was Paul who was causing a change in the markets. Disruptive city transformation. So a great door was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We want the spirit of God. Amen. The spirit of God has to break out in our churches. The great door for effective work was doctrine for regional impact. The great door for effective work was the supernatural breaking out in the city. The great door for effective work was disruptive city transformation that Paul brought to Ephesus. And I was re- as I was reflecting on this and And we're concluding this. And I just felt the Lord add the component of youth to this great door conversation. I feel like there's something significant that's going to happen to the youth of this city. And that we need to get ready for that also. And as a way of concluding this, I'm going to read for you Matthew chapter 21. And there's just a couple of verses there. Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem. Matthew 21, verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, the whole city was stared and asked, who is this? Well, when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him, yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read... From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. There's all sorts of things that Jesus does in Jerusalem that we're not going to talk about. I want to pick on the youth activation. The children breaking out in song and in praise, Hosanna, to the king. He was riding on a donkey. He arrived riding on a donkey. He wasn't riding on a on a horse. He was riding on a donkey. The city was expecting a militaristic Messiah, and maybe there has been a um, uh, uh, um, you know discouragement and uh, in this city of Deben. And the kind of Messiah that we may have expected, he rides on a donkey. He's a king of humility, and when he arrives, something that begins to break out amongst the children is shout. Hosanna. That's an exclamation of adoration. It's a statement of praise. But that word Hosanna also means to save us. It's a cry for salvation. I feel like the youth of this city is crying. Save us. It's a cry of salvation. In fact, that word Hosanna means save us and save us now. Save us and save us now. And so God is moving to touch the youth of the city. And this too, we have to pray for. We have to pray for the schools of the city. We have to pray for the universities of the city. We have to pray for the youth and we need to find them. Because God is moving and Jesus entering the city and is causing praise to break out from the lips of children. We need to trust God for portals and ways to reach out to the young. Because unless the young are touched by God and by the Spirit of God, there isn't, there cannot be any sustainability in a city. We need to see great numbers of young people again in our churches. We need to go to schools and preach the word of the Lord. Universities, when you pull the youth from the malls and bring them into, into the house of God. Because the king enters the city riding on a donkey, and that activates praise upon the lips of the young. Amen. A great door for effective work. Outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Doctrine for original impact. The supernatural, disruptive city transformation and youth activation is something of significance that God wants to do amongst the young of our city. And there's going to be shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now, Messiah. When everybody was being calculated about what to say and how to deal with the moment, the youth were spontaneous. They responded with honor to the arriving king. There was a breaking out of praise in the house of God. When everybody was trying to shush them, they began to worship, saying, Hosanna to the king. They we were praising him, but also they were saying, Save us now. Save this city now. And the king wants to reach out to the young of the city. Amen. Let's stand and let's pray.